Good morning, everyone. Happy January the 11th and happy premiere of I Take Bravo Very Seriously. My name is Dana Mandel and I am the host of this podcast. I also run the IG and TikTok accounts, um, Brunch and Bravo, so please give me a follow if you have a chance. I post a lot of celebrity news, reality TV gossip, recaps on episodes, and just sort of what this podcast will be, but in social media form. Um, So as I said, my name is Dana Mandel. I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I would consider myself a Bravo reporter, commentator, investigator. Um, I'm just everything Bravo. I love everything Bravo. Um, My journey probably started, I think, with Vanderpump Rules. It was recommended to me by a friend. Then I migrated to some of the other different Housewives shows and branched out to the other ones like Summer House, Southern Charm. But Vanderpump Rules is my jam. I've seen every episode a million times. So when Scandal broke... It was epic, but I sort of had no one to talk to about it because there aren't really any Bravo fans in Toronto. And so I sort of felt like alone in it all. And that's when I started um, listening to Bravo podcasts and discovered them for the first time. It was so awesome to just soak up the content and I couldn't get enough. It was so exciting and I was so happy that there was this whole Bravo community out there that loved Bravo just as much as me. So that's when I started my account, uh, Brunch and Bravo on Instagram. And I did it just, you know, to get in on the fun and to have something to say and to enjoy being part of the Bravo community. And I think there's so many really funny people out there, just such amazing people. And even though the internet can be such a scary place, I've honestly found the Bravo community to be just so welcoming. Um, I do want to point out that since this is my first podcast, I am a bit nervous. So, you know, bear with me and any of these sound or tech issues that may arise. I'm still working out the kinks. So um, bear with me as I still sort of try to figure that all out. I'm not in my 20s anymore. So this tech stuff is just... A little more difficult than I thought, but I'm figuring it out. Um, So the episodes will air once a week from now on on Thursdays. But given the amount of shows and content that Bravo is giving us lately, um, we do have a couple endings. Salt Lake City is ending. Southern Charm is in its reunion as well. Um, There's a lot of other reality shows I watch, not just Bravo, like 90 Day Fiance, Love is Blind. Um, But I also have a day job, so we'll have to see how it goes. Um, So I won't be covering Salt Lake City and Southern Charm as they're both in their reunions, but I'll try to cover as many shows as I can. And when I say recap, like I'm not doing line by line recaps, but basically my style is just sort of covering my thoughts on the episodes and the most interesting parts. I'll also be covering on this podcast, Breaking News in the Reality Sphere, um, as well as certain podcasts that might be relevant. So for example, Rachel Goes Rogue, which um, aired on January the 8th, and I'll be talking about that today. There's also Sheena's podcast, Lala's podcast. I mean, some of these podcasts just give us a lot of information that we do end up needing to sort of complement the episodes that we're watching. Um, I'll also be having other guests on, like other content creators, um, Bravo fans, and hopefully one day some Bravo liberties, but I'll be doing some solo episodes first. I also know that a lot of you like to listen to some podcasts on 1.5 speed, just to speed it up. As you may have been able to tell, I talk super fast, so I don't think you'll have to definitely listen to this on 1.5 speed, but um, I will work on my speed. So let's get started with the episode. Seats, proof, timeline, screenshots. So the first thing I want to talk about today is the VPR trailer and um, predictions for season 11 of Vanderpump Rules. Now, I know the trailer came out quite some time ago, so I'm not going to do like a line by line and and go through all of it like that. But I'm just going to go through the parts that I feel are important in terms of what we expect to see this season. So I definitely think this is the year of Ariana, and I love that. Um, She basically narrates the uh, trailer and she says, I don't want to be around my ex. I don't fucking have to. And I know a lot of people have talked about possibly people turning on Ariana this season. And I really just don't predict that because I think in only a few months in the aftermath of Scandaval, people were still rooting for her. Um, So I think she's still going to have her good girl group around her. I don't know if James will have much of a storyline this season besides being the number one guy in the group, which is sort of by default and by being sort of the only one in a stable relationship, which is crazy. Well, I guess there's Sheena. She's also married, but I don't know how stable of a relationship that is. But yeah, it sort of seems like James is the stable one. It seems like there's parties at his house and everything um, goes on there because he has the stable home with him and his girlfriend. Um, We also see Tom Schwartz telling Sandoval he needs to start dating. So we see him go bowling in um, a trailer with that singer named T. It's spelled T-I-I. So when I say we see, it's because this past summer, us content creators were all over Vanderpump Rules and the filming, and we were trying to capture everything that was happening as it was happening. So we definitely saw Sandoval out on the streets with this singer T with staged uh, paparazzi photos. So she's definitely going to be in this season. Um, but this just seems like a forced storyline for Sandoval to just start dating. 
heartbreaking. Um, it's clear that Sheena will probably spend most of this season struggling between being loyal to Ariana and grappling with her feelings about her relationship with Sandoval. We were so proud of her in the final episode of last season, in that final scene where she just came for Sandoval and she was like, you should have called her mom, you should have flown her in, you should have called all of her friends and gotten them around her and doing what we're doing now, you shouldn't have fucked her friend. And we were like, yes, Sheena, you took loyalty, you took a side, you took a stand. And now it just feels like she's going to spend this whole season sort of struggling with that. I do understand she had a longstanding friendship with Sandoval, but it's a clear matter of right and wrong. Plus there was the fact that he said that they weren't even friends in that phone call um, when Scandoval broke on March the 1st when Ariana found the text. He was screaming to Sheena on the phone that she wasn't even his real friend. So I just don't know why she grapples so hard with losing friends. Um, we see Schwartz in the trailer with his bleach hair and Lala calling him Dad Bot Ken. I guess this is sort of like his midlife crisis season and that's his storyline. We officially meet his friend Joe, who we know is Kristen Doty's best friend, who ghosted her when she moved in with Schwartz, which at the time was platonic, but then turned into a situationship, which we can see with Joe asking in the trailer, are you embarrassed of me? Based on what we know of this girl Joe and her weird energy, I'm going to say yes. Also, by the way, this girl Joe posts a lot about her friendship with Schwartz, and I think she's low-key in love with him, but um, I do not think that is mutual. For Lala, hopefully we get to see her go through the process of trying to expand her family. We see in the trailer her talking about wanting to have a second baby. It's clear that she's still really struggling with what happened with her life and not ending up with Randall. And she says that she still cries a lot. And I think in a podcast or on her Amazon Live, she said that she cried so much this season. So it's really heartbreaking to see that Lala is still sort of going through it about what happened to her life. Um, we have Schwartz and Katie in the trailer making out with the same girl. So her name is Tori Keith. She is 24 years old. She's a singer and she's best friends with Sheena's sister, Courtney. This totally looks like a storyline, um, just about Katie and Schwartz dating the same girl, um, which feels very produced, but it's, it's a storyline, I guess. Um, and then we have this big thing that people keep talking about from the trailer where Schwartz tells Lala that he made out with Sheena in Vegas. So when the trailer first came out, the internet was buzzing about when this could have been. Um, Sheena had commented on a post of Danny Pellegrino's about it, saying something about taking it to the grave and it's not what you think. And then she commented on another post that said, why didn't you make up with, why did you make up with Schwartz? And then she commented, I didn't. Then she went on her podcast before the holidays, giving us no new information and basically said, it's not what you think and you need to watch it. So I thought it was like a nothing burger and basically like clickbait, like maybe it was either like spin the bottle or in a dream or something like that. And um, Kristen Doty went on her podcast and said that she thinks it's kind of a joke and that Tom just says weird things sometimes. But then Katie and Dana Kathan did The Vile Files last week and they said that Sheena will have some explaining to do. So it sort of seems like it did happen, but I guess we're going to need to find out more context. But given that Lala and Katie have been good over the summer and there hasn't really been much tension between them, I'm still going to say it's still mostly a nothing burger. Um, it seems like Katie and Lala have some tension this season and they're sort of fighting with each other. I heard it might be about Lala developing a friendship with Schwartz, but I can't really see Lala connecting with Schwartz over anything. Um, we see Katie and Tom talking about how her feelings never matter to him and how Tom just says it was one kiss. When he's talking about one kiss, I do not think he's talking about the Sheena kiss. I think he's talking about Raquel here. I just need to make this point so it's clear once and for all, even though Schwartz won't hear this. Okay, so Katie's one rule was no dating in the friend group. She explained at some point at the beginning of Scandal on a podcast that by friend group, that was code for no one on the show, so she didn't have to see it. So it's literally part of Katie's job to watch the show, and it would be so unfair to physically have to watch your ex, ex kiss someone on TV for your job. So no Schwartz, it's not a double standard, as he kept saying. We also have Jax coming back this season and we see one little clip in the trailer where he's talking to Lisa saying that she wrote him off. He has confirmed that he has appeared many more times this season. I think his role will mostly be coming for Sandoval, which will be actually such delicious irony given his history of cheating. So that could be really interesting just watching the two of them just fight about cheating. Um, we see Tom wearing a mask and headphones lying on a pillow and screaming. It seems like it's some sort of therapy. The season... I feel like he's looking for some sort of redemption arc. He's going to be trying to reintegrate with his friends. Um, we also see James tell Sandoval that he still has so much growing up to do and it's sad to him. This like really broke my heart. It felt like such a role reversal because James was always like the little brother and Sandoval was always the one sort of guiding him and being a mentor to him. And it just felt, it just felt so different given 
you know, their age difference and the difference in their lives where they are now. Uh, we see Schwartz say that he thinks Tom is still in love with Raquel. Lisa says she's blocked you and it's over. And Tom is saying this is bullshit. So you may recall that around that time, he was talking about how much he loved Raquel and wishing her a happy birthday on her Instagram post. I think we are going to see Tom struggle with his emotions about her because she basically stopped talking to him right around this time. So right around the time that Vanderpump Rules started filming and Sandoval was gone the first week at Special Forces, that was basically when they stopped contact. And he was basically at her beck and call waiting for her to call him from treatment. So he couldn't even contact her if he wanted to. And he's never really been dumped before. So I think we are going to see this really weighing heavy on him. Um, We see Ariane in the trailer talking to Sandoval, saying, my lawyer will be dealing with you, this house, and my children. Now, everyone online went on and on about whether Ariana had embryos frozen with Tom, but guys, she meant her pet children, so she has her dog Maya and her cat Kitty. So her best friend Brad also confirmed this, um, and I know that Ariana said she was refusing to film with Sandoval, but it looks like we will get this one scene of them together. Then the trailer ends with a finale party um, for Kyle Chan in San Francisco, and we see Lala say that she's never seen someone get cheated on and then become God. So a lot of people online speculated that Lala was jealous. Um, She came on and said that that was not true. Honestly, I think she just meant the entire sequence of events and the scandal itself. Like, it literally changed pop culture, and that has never happened before just because someone got cheated on. So if Lala is jealous of anything, it's just because she didn't get similar treatment when Randall cheated on her. And she talked about that at the beginning of Scandoval and Stassi as well, about needing to be considered, quote-unquote, the perfect victim. But the truth is that for Lala, no one really honestly believed when her and Randall were together that they were actually going to get married and that they were going to stay together. And those were the cold hard facts. So no one really felt bad for her at the end of the day, and, and that's why this is different. So basically my predictions for this upcoming season 11 is that it's going to feel kind of disjointed because the group is disjointed, right? Like a lot is going to feel forced with produced interactions like Tom going on dates and Tom and Katie dating the same girl. It just won't also feel as organic with new people like T and Billy Lee and Joe coming in because that's what happened with season eight, right? Like we had these new people come in and try to integrate them into the cast and this failed because what people loved about VPR was the original cast and that it was a genuine friend group and that's why it worked. But editing in new people, I know was necessary because Sandoval needed someone to film with, but I'm not gonna love it. I'm just saying, I'm not excited for any of these extras. Um, I look forward to seeing a coming together of Lala and Ariana this season because I miss their friendship. Um, But I just don't know how we can keep going on after this season without Tom and Ariana agreeing to film together. I totally get why she doesn't want to, but that like wouldn't fly for long on like a housewife show, for example. Also, these people are in their 40s and we're nearing that and have very much outgrown Sir and Lisa Vanderpump. So I think season 11 is the final season. By that, I mean, it should be the final season to wrap things up, but networks never really stop making things unless they stop making money. So they may just keep making the show until it disintegrates, but my prediction for when it should end should be season 11. Defeats, proof, timeline, screenshots. So I know everyone is sick of Scandoval, but I still have a little more to say about it. So please bear with me. And I know we've sort of gone over why Scandoval was so big, but I want to talk about some theories that may not have been addressed and and why Scandoval mattered. So it was the timing of the release of the show, right? We were only a few episodes in before we found out on March the 3rd that um, Tom had cheated on Ariana with Raquel. And then we got to do this sort of sixth sense effect, right? Where we got to then start watching the episodes back knowing that this was happening. So we started looking for clues and people started coming up with conspiracy theories, which is hilarious because Tom and Raquel were not smart enough to come up with like a diabolical plan, but it ended up becoming so fun. So it was like the timing of the release of the show, as well as the timing of the sequence of events of finding out about the scandal, right? There was also the cameras picking back up, but I also want to mention that this actually wasn't a a once in a lifetime thing that everyone sort of seems to make it seem like it was. I don't know if anyone remembers, but in the season... um, I want to say season five, where Sheena and Shay get divorced. You'll remember in the very last episode, um, Sheena meets with Lisa to tell her what's going on. And it says four months later. So they did pick up cameras so that they could film Sheena and Lisa and then Sheena and Shay um, speaking in their home to get divorced four months later. Um, But for me, 
the reason it really mattered and the reason it was different and why it became so big, and there's so many different theories on it, but for me, it was that society was saying like, no, no more. Like women are not going to be treated like this anymore. Not just women, but people are not going to be cheated on anymore. Like I know people kept saying, why is this a big deal? People cheat all the time. People have cheated on this show on the, all the time. Yes, but no more. <laughs> you know, like I think people were just so appalled by this disgusting cheating scandal because it wasn't just cheating. It was who he cheated with. It was the sequence of events. It was flying her around and the secrets and and sleeping in, in her house when the dog died and, and all of that terrible stuff. But like, you know, it, it wasn't just a cheating scandal. It was we're not we're not accepting cheating anymore that it just sort of felt like all of society was like no we are going to take down tom and all men who are going to do this and this is not happening anymore and i feel like companies alike were doing the same thing by supporting ariana and offering her deals like she wasn't contacting duracell herself and saying hey i have the funniest idea for a commercial right so yeah there was cheating on the show before and yes from many of the same players but this time we just weren't okay with being okay with cheating anymore that's just sort of how it felt to me also in 2012 and like 2012 when like Jax cheated on Saucy and 2023, these are very different times in terms of the show's popularity, in terms of the presence of social media at the time, like social media basically didn't even exist then. And I don't know if anyone saw the um, article that Taylor Swift wrote recently, or um, not the article, the um, interview that she did recently, where she said that trash takes itself out every single time. This time it seemed like we had to force the trash out. So, you know, it's it's interesting to sort of think about um, what came out of this and the money that was made out off of it. The merchandise for something about her, a sandwich shop that still ceases to be open, grossed 200 grand, right? It was the economy it created. It was how much the reality stars could do with their platforms, right? Um, and it was also that the cast was continuing to talk about it and continuing to merchandise it and brand it. Like, Sandoval's a liar. Like, something like that we haven't seen before from people so intimately involved with the scandal, right? Like, when Carl and Lindsay um, broke up on Summer House... Everyone on the cast was mum. We never heard from anyone read Carl and Lindsay, despite being asked, right? But this time we had all the cast members and all their family members getting involved in promoting the hate. And that's just not something we've seen before. One other thing I want to address is whether Scandal would have happened if. A few different uh, scenarios. So Jody Walker did this amazing narrative podcast called An American Scandal, and she mentioned in the podcast that um, how Raquel had said on season 10 of the show that she couldn't compete in pageants anymore because she said that Donald Trump said that la- the last year is being 27, and Jody Walker proved that this was untrue. It was actually 28. So Raquel did turn 28 in 2022, but I wonder if she would have still have been able to um, participate in a pageant in her 28th year, or it had to be once you've turned 28. So if she had still sort of been feeling herself and still had another chance to compete in pageants, which was sort of her life path, and she hadn't have felt so lost, I wonder if she would have ever turned to, to uh, Tom, right? I also wonder if COVID hadn't happened and slash the Valley Village show hadn't happened, which it didn't, would Scandabelle have ever happened? So here's why. So when COVID happened and Black Lives Matter happened, there were several firings, as we all know, Jack, Stassi, whatever. And there was supposed to be a spinoff show that was supposed to come out of season eight with the original cast that we were told, I think, was called Valley Village. And that never ended up happening because half of those casts were fired. So my prediction would have been that Raquel and James would have stayed on the original Vanderpump rules because they were part of sort of the younger group and were being merged with the Danas, the Danicas and that kind of thing. And then Sandoval would have been on the Valley Village show and maybe because they wouldn't have been um, integrated or part of each other's groups as much because they're on different shows if they would have actually ended up becoming that close. So that is really interesting to me, whether that would have happened if COVID had ever happened, right? Deceits, proof, timeline, screenshots. Okay, now let's get into Rachel Goes Rogue. So her episode, first episode, came out on January the 8th. Here's what I want to say in general about podcasts. Not everyone is meant to have a podcast, okay? And, and like Tom too, okay? Like interviewing is a skill and it's not a skill that everyone has. And it's a skill that requires a lot of learning. And I just think Rachel, Raquel, and Tom, both of them, speaking just isn't one of their skills and neither is interviewing. Their skills are, I don't know, other things, but just not this. And 
you know, I'm sure that Tom only wanted to do his podcast because Rachel had announced she was doing hers and he sort of wanted to make sure that he got to tell his side of the story. But I can kind of understand why Rachel wanted to tell her side of the story because it didn't really come out um, on Bethany's podcast because Bethany was sort of controlling and manipulating the whole situation and didn't know any of the background. So there was, we were left with just so many still unanswered questions. So what I think is interesting about this podcast is that she has a bunch of iHeart female producers in the room with her. And it's similar to Tom's podcast in the sense that they are um, being asked questions by other people as opposed to just speaking themselves. In Rachel's case, I feel like this is necessary because, as we've said, she's just not a skilled speaker, right? And, and just coming up with um, the proper way to tell a story um, it, it's just not her forte. So I thought it was interesting to have the producers in the room and asking her questions. Um, basically, she started off explaining that it's been a scary decision to do this podcast because of the scrutiny and judgment, but she didn't feel like it was fair to like watch this whole season of season 11 pan out without her being able to tell her side of the story, right? So you know, she was encouraged by all of these amazing iHeart women to speak up, and she really just wants to do that. And, you know, I can kind of understand that. Um, she says that she's not necessarily cut out for reality TV, and I totally agree there. She said there was a lot of strategy going on, and things aren't always the way that they seem. Um, she could have just gone to live her life back in nature and focus on her mental health and stuff, but she decided that she can actually come back to the spotlight while still doing her therapy and focusing on her mental health, that she can have both. She had mentioned that she almost pulled the plug the day before because she was so scared and nervous, um, because it's a lot of responsibility to podcast out every week, which I know myself because I will be doing that too every week. Um, but she does plan to talk to her therapist to watch each episode and to talk about the podcast. But she said she doesn't want this podcast to be a response to what's being put out there in season 11 because she's not a part of it, but her intention is to share the truth. Um, I do think she is going to be putting a response to what's being out there. I mean, how can you not? You know, you, you're you going to be talked about on TV. You're not going to get a chance to give your own response. So if people are saying things about you on TV that you don't like or you don't consider true, then of course, I feel like her podcast will end up being you know, just her response to what's being said on the show. So that kind of makes sense. Then she says the main reason she didn't want to be on VPR season 11 is because she didn't want to be with Tom and had made the decision to cut him out of her life. This is an interesting statement considering first she said the main reason she didn't want to be on VPR was because they were not going to pay her equivalently to Tom and Ariana. Then she said on the trailer or like the mini version of her podcast, which was like an eight minute like introduction, she said that she couldn't do that to Ariana to just to be around her. Um, and she knew how difficult that would be for Ariana to sort of be in a group with her. So this is now a third reason. And these are three very different reasons. I don't know if every time she's coming up with a new one or these are all genuine reasons. I mean, these all seem like genuine reasons, but it's confusing to hear her give so many different reasons in so many different statements about why she didn't come back to the show. Um, she also felt like she'd be forced to interact with him and she'd be on the outcares, out, uh, sorry, the outskirts with the other casts and the girls probably wouldn't give her the time of day to tell her story. I mean, Lala and Sheena have both come out and said that it's not, it wouldn't have been what she thought it was. I think Katie said that as well and I think they would have heard her out, but I completely understand that at the time she wouldn't have thought that. Um, she knew that going into treatment, that Tom wasn't healthy for her and that she was at her worst self, but she chose to sort of stay with him because, you know, she didn't really understand that back then. Um, she realized a lot of her problems stem from the unhealthy relationship she was in. Like she knew was Tom was bad for her and violated her. She used that word violate, which I thought was really interesting. And I wonder if she'll get more into that. Um, and that he got her into this position, but she was still talking to him and still plans to meet up with him after treatment. She said that she put him on a pedestal and looked up to him and he validated her and valued her as a person. And she has this pattern of putting guys on pedestals and a pattern of then letting her friendship suffer because she's giving all of her attention to these relationships. Um, so she said that when she was watching season 10 back, she got really emotional and she saw how much she was drinking and numbing her pain and anxiety. She had just gone up 
uh, Sarah had gone through a breakup with James, as we know. And as she had said on the show, and plus many other times, it was really difficult for her to have his new girlfriend around. And he said that Allie was the love of his life. And it made her feel like what they had wasn't real and that they were never having, they never had a real relationship. And so she just felt like she was in the middle of grieving that relationship. So she knew she wasn't ready for another one. And maybe that's why she had an attraction to Tom, because he wasn't 100% emotionally available for her. So then the producer asks her if she spiraled after James and Allie. And she said yes. She said that social situations with the cat encouraged her to drink even more. She really needed a therapist, but instead she had Tom and he was always there for her. But the producer was like, was he? Like, was he really? And then she was like, well, it felt like he was always there for me because he would FaceTime me every day and he would come over and we would hang out and vent about filming. And this was an experience that bonded us on a situation of being on a reality TV show. This is something that only he and I could understand. And the producer asks her if she thought this was genuine. And she said, I thought it was, you know, I think there was a part of him that was genuinely had a deep connection for me, but only he can really speak on that. She was also saying that there was a lot of healing that he needed to do to be more mature adult to handle the relationship he was in because he had been telling Raquel that he wanted to break up with Ariana, but that he felt stuck in it. And he would tell her he was going to go to couples therapy to try to break up with her. And he would tell her he was almost going to do it. And she felt like she was too patient with him. She felt like she should have just put her foot down. Then the producer asks her, did you ever consider telling Ariana? Seeing, she said that seeing herself talk to Ariana about her sex life on camera in season 10 was difficult for her to watch. But the reason that she did it was because Tom told her they weren't having sex. And she was curious. She knew his side of the story, but he, she wanted to hear Ariana's side of the story. She wanted to know if he was someone she was attracted to, if he was someone she still wanted to be with, you know? And then the producer asks her, like, how real was everything? And Raquel was like, it felt very real. It was like a lot of living in this fantasy and falling in love with a future version of him when he wasn't with Ariana anymore. So that's so interesting for her to sort of say, right? It's not the current version of you I love. It's the version you will be once we've gotten rid of all of this baggage, right? So it was probably the excitement of that. And she said that, you know, once she was out of pageants, she sort of felt like she kind of went wild and was coming, you know, out on, on her own and out of her people-pleasing area era because that was a lot of her um, problem with James. She was in such a people-pleasing era with him. That was a big part of their relationship, which she has now learned is codependency. And the producer's like, yeah, the pageants played a part. But it's interesting, the producer's sort of telling her things, right? Like the pageant did play a part. And she would say, yeah, like going into pageants, I got into them because I had social anxiety. I wanted to overcome my fear of public speaking. And she said that's why she did v VPR as well, to sort of get herself outside of her comfort zone. Then the producer says, what have you thought of yourself? Like, have you been insecure your whole life? And she's like, yeah, I have always been insecure. I've always been the tallest and the lankiest. I changed my name to Raquel at six or seven because I didn't want to be me. I wanted to be something better. And the producer's like, you're very guarded. Are you aware of that? And she's like, well, because of everything that happened, I feel like I have to have these walls up and it's hard for me to let people in. And the producer says, what are people saying to you as you're reentering the world? And she's like, people who recognize me are happy for me and they'll ask for a photo. And then the whole Dave Portnoy thing came up where apparently her and Dave Portnoy were both in Chicago at the same time. And there was a speculation online that the reason Dave Portnoy and his girlfriend broke up was about Raquel. And then he had posted something saying, I never met that trash bag, which was a really shitty thing to say. She said that she's learned a lot about projection through that. And she thinks he doesn't know her at all. And so it's it's sort of all on him. But there's also a lot of inf misinformation about her as well out there. Um, he probably believes lies that were put out there on TV. So she says that, you know, for her being um, a more just a person who, you know, is out there in the public media, it's understandable when people think these certain things about you by based on what they see. She made this really interesting point about this friend that she had from high school who was a TikToker and put something else out there about her and David Portnoy on TikTok and wrote, oh, I hope this isn't true. And Rachel was sort of thinking like, hey, you could have texted me and asked if it wasn't true. So she feels betrayed by a lot of people, but she knows a lot of people have betrayed her as well. She said that there are a few people from the VPR world that have reached out to her and missed her. But she said that those people were digging and digging for information that they could get to give to the other cast members. Um, so she had to take a step back from those friends. And she said that, you know, she's told them that, like, 
once you're out of that world, then we can have intimate conversations again. And I'm super curious about who she's referring to. Like she was really close with a guy named Brett and a guy named Israel Isaac, who were sort of not key players on the show, but were sort of in the background. Um, and I know that Brett, uh, Brett Kenyon, who was good friends with her and good friends with the group, is not friends with the original cast anymore. And I think he's still friends with the Toms. Um, so she says that Graham, the whole Graham situation. So she had explained that Graham was gifted to her by her parents as a graduation gift. And she got him the same day that James and her moved into their apartment in LA. She said that James, or sorry, that Graham has a big dog energy. He is feisty. And he gets possessive of certain objects. So he'll switch to an attack mode. And she would, she said she didn't want to say anything bad about James, but then she goes into more detail about her concerns with James with the dog, because I just didn't really understand this from the Bethany podcast, where she said James would encourage him to bite because he liked that. Now, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but season, gosh, maybe five of Vanderpump Rules, when... James was trying to get Lala and he's trying to get Kristen back and he hooks up with a girl named Lauren and he comes to, um, what was it? It was Pride at Sir and he's wearing a tank top and he's got all these scratches and bites all over him and he says that that's what he likes in the bedroom. So there was something that sort of, that pulled out of me when I, when I heard that he was really into making Graham bite him. So I hope it's not some sort of weird thing, but that did pop into my head. Um, so Raquel says that James would taunt Graham and antagonize him, kick him off the couch when he was sleeping, which would shock him. He would encourage Graham to bite his hands. And when James would be like yelling, Graham would hide under the couch. So she would feel herself nagging James um, about this. And she tried putting him in training, not James, the dog. Um, and then he had bit a few people. So then when she went into treatment, her mother had called, which as we all know, um, and said that um, the dog had bitten her down to the bone. Rachel had to make the decision between staying in treatment or leaving and taking care of her dog. She had inquired into some different foster families, but um, no one was a good fit. So her family ended up finding a breed-specific golden doodle rescue, and her parents took him there. That rescue promised to keep the identity under wraps because Rachel's a public figure. And I guess they had Graham adopted out and returned him in three days because he had bit that person. So I guess the rescue needed more money for a new trainer because the one he was working with didn't work with him anymore. So they scanned his microchip called Vanderpump Dogs. And I think they were asking for a donation, but Lisa said, oh, darling, I'll adopt him. And if I can't find someone to take him, then I'll leave him. He can live on my ranch for the rest of his life. And Rachel was like, she doesn't have a ranch. I I'm sure she means Villa Rosa, but whatever. So then Rachel's like, and this is probably true, Lisa didn't tell her any of this because her first priority is a storyline. So she was in the process at the time of signing on to VPR for season 11, and they had wanted her to go on the cast trip to Lake Tahoe. And um, that was the trip where Graham ends up being brought by Lisa to James, right? And we, we will see this play out in season 11. So she wanted to surprise him with Graham and... Um, Rachel is sure that Lisa's going to tell everyone that she surrendered her dog from a kill shelter and he was hours away from being euthanized because this will be the storyline that'll be pushed, even though that isn't true. So she's also worried about how James is going to react to that on the show because he's very reactive, so she can only imagine his thought process. Um, so the whole plan was just to get her to Tahoe to like drop this bomb on her. So she texted Lisa at the time and said, like, I don't support Graham with James. And she called her and expressed her concern and just said, come to Villa Rosa, darling, and explain why you left so, so abruptly without notice. And you can tell your side of the story, darling. And Rachel felt like she was just being used as bait. Like, if she were there to explain her real story, it just wouldn't air, right? Then she talks about how James is now the number one guy in the group because it's a process of an elimination, which I have also mentioned. Um, and then the producers play her some clips of um, some quotes that Tom has said on other media platforms. So for example, I think the most recent one that Tom did was Two Teas in a Pod with Teddy and Tamara. And he had mentioned on the pod that like, he really loved Rachel. It was heartbreaking. He misses her and that she was not just hum hot girl. Like he was a model for 15 years. So it was deeper. Like, like it was more than that. And Rachel's response as 
all of us were, the arrogance, right? The honest-to-God arrogance. She said it made her feel sick, and his voice repulsed her, which she said was a good sign, and I agree. She said there was also a part of her that wanted to believe in that fantasy, but in reality, he misses the benefits of the relationship without actually being in a relationship. And it feels sort of vindicating, she said. She's saying that he's probably playing events offensive and milking the victim role because her podcast is coming out, and it's... But she's saying it's making him look worse. And it is true. Everything that he's saying out there in the media just makes him look like a fucking idiot. Um, Then the producer brought up the fact that Tom said that she made the first move. So then she explains that um, he knew that she was filming at Sir one night. He got her a drink. He's like, let's go to this place after. They went to the Abbey instead. She drove him home. When they got there, they were talking in the car. And he's like, do you want to come in for a nightcap? She said, yes. The front door was locked and Ariana was sleeping inside. So they went to the back. The slide door wasn't unlocked, but the fire pit was there. So they were just out there chatting. Then he was like, do you know what the best thing about this pool is? And she was like, what? And he's like, it's heated. And then she said, should we go in? Sorry, I'm trying to make this like a porn. (laughs) And then they um, get in, in their underwear, and they kissed. And then Tom sort of gets out and puts his hands over his face. And he's so like, not sure what to do. And then Rachel's like, "I I think I should go. And she was like, well, would you rather maybe go sit in the car? And then they got in her car and they had sex in the car. So... In terms of the producers, they were like, well, it seems like nobody is right or wrong here about who made the first move, and that's probably true. Um, And then she also mentions that, like, her friends were noticing differences in her. Like, a friend had pulled her aside at Schwartz and Sandy's and asked her if she was okay because she had kept coming up with excuses not to hang out. And he's like, I feel like you're not okay and you're drinking a lot. And she's like, I can't tell you now, but I'll tell you tomorrow. So her friend called her the next day. And she was like, oh, I thought you forgot about what I said. And he's like, no, you need to tell me what's going on with you. And so she did. And he's like, listen, I don't stand by this. You need to end things. This is not okay. I think this was her friend, Kale, which was also a good friend of Sheena's. And he came out early on in the scandal and came on a couple podcasts. I think he came on Sheena's podcast and Sheena's best friend, Jamie Lynn's podcast, to talk about how good friends he was with Rachel and how she told him what happened and how he said he doesn't stand for it. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, And the last thing she sort of says is that her story isn't really unique, which is true. It was just broadcasted on a larger scale. So what I got from this is that it does seem like she's taking a lot of accountability. It does seem like that she's learned a lot and she's had a lot of growth. I feel like it's really interesting the way she views Tom now and like, thank God, Um, because and I also thought it was interesting, even though she didn't say it in this episode, but she said it in the like eight minute pre, not the trailer, but like a little clip of an episode where she said that when you put everything down on paper that he is, it's like a screaming red flag. And that is so true, right? Um, Here's what I still kind of want to know. So now that we've had Rachel's podcast, I mean, this is just the first episode. I don't know how many episodes there's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a longstanding podcast. And if it is, I don't really know what it's about. I think what she should have done is like a short narrative podcast, like a three or four episode thing where she just tells her side of the story and ends it there. Because after she's told her side of the story and she's sort of commented on what is incorrect in season 11 of VPR, I don't really know what this podcast will be about. I am okay with it being here because I did really want to hear her side of the story and there is still more information I want to find out and I just don't know if we will. I just don't see how this can be a long-standing thing. But here are the things I still want to know and I hope that we can still find out. So I want to know why Tom didn't stay at Raquel's apartment when she was in treatment instead of torturing Ariana, but that would be a question for Tom. I want to know if... Rachel told Nima Vand from Shaw's Sunset that Tom told her that he and Ariana were open, or was that a lie? Because Rachel had told Nima um, that she and Tom at Coachella were in the hot tub, and he said that him and Ariana were open, and Rachel has denied that. And I don't know if that is actually true, and I would like to know that. Um, Ariana told her friends and family to go spread the story, and that's why this whole thing was so different. Um, but I want to know which friends knew. I want to know which friends kept this a secret. And that just seems so interesting to me. 
I also want to know in that final five minutes where she sort of confessed to everything in the last part of uh, the reunion of season 10, where she made the throuple suggestion. So she was saying that she had suggested to Tom that what if you, me, and Ariana were a throuple? Because she figured, well, she already loved Ariana as a person, so it didn't seem that far-fetched. And I want to know, did she genuinely think that they would just start dating and it would be fine, like the three of them, and that that would just genuinely work? Um also, just the fact that they would just start dating in general, like if they had not ended up as a throuple, which they wouldn't have, that he would have just broken up with Ariana and that everyone would have just accepted that he had broken up with the Ariana and had started dating Rachel. So I just want to know about that level of Delulu and what she learned in therapy about that. Um, I want to know how Tom reacted to Rachel's last five minute confession where she basically betrays his trust, right? She felt like, you know, she just had to spill all this information and she couldn't keep the secrets anymore. And I wonder at that point, did they still decide to be together? Did they get in a fight? Um, and what, what was, what sort of came of that? Because she, he had worked so hard to keep up that lie. And I just want to know how he felt about her betraying his trust. And lastly, this isn't really Tom and Rachel specific, but, you know, when Lala told Raquel that she had slept with James early on in their relationship and it was because she was drinking, she never actually apologized. So every time it came up on the show, she's just like, you got to get over it, baby. You got to get over it. But and and yes, it was because you were drinking, but, you know, you're still required to make amends as um, an alcoholic. And I still think that Lala should have or should still give her that apology. So that's all we have for the first episode of Rachel Goes Rogue. Um, I look forward to the second to see if we get any more information on the affair. Defeats, proof, timeline, screenshot. Okay, let's get into the Real Housewives of Potomac. <sighs> I know, I just, it's been a rough season, right? And we've gone two or three weeks without an episode because we had the holidays and we are still in Austin. They are on day three of Austin. Just as an overall, this season has been difficult to stomach because I know I keep talking about things being disjointed and inorganic, but that's what this is. This is a group of people who are no longer friends. It sort of seems Karen has taken on the role of everyone's friend and trying to bring the group together, and she's doing her best, but it would make no sense for a group of women who are not friends to go on a vacation together, which I know is a housewife's trope, but it's still, it just feels very inauthentic in this sense. That being said, I actually did, this episode is probably the only episode so far this season that I've enjoyed because it was lighter and it was fun and it seemed like everyone was sort of getting along for a common goal, which was Karen's birthday. So it's Karen's 60th birthday, triple 20. Um, some of the girls are outside by the pool and then Giselle and um, Ashley are inside setting up a painting station. So basically what they're going to do is give everyone a canvas and everyone has to draw Karen or what represents Karen or something like that. Um, and Giselle and Ashley are talking and um, Ashley is talking about her mom and how she hasn't been to her mom's house since she got her house two years ago. She feels like her mom's boyfriend is a cancerous individual and she doesn't talk to him at all. And there's a lot of drama from when she was in high school where he was unfaithful to her mom and he wasn't contributing to the household. And Ashley was saying that this influenced her relationships because she wants someone reliable and financially responsible, but doesn't want to see herself like her mom and not being her happiest. And so a lot of people have been saying this season that Ashley has no storyline, she should go, but I mean, it's unfortunate to say, but Michael Darby was her storyline. He's awful, but he brought a lot of drama to the show. Now that he's gone, yeah, it really doesn't seem like Ashley has a storyline or any sort of input aside from trying to create drama between NECA and Wendy, which was completely her fault. But aside from that, I mean, I would like to delve more into Ashley's family. Like to me, that's a really interesting storyline. We did see a lot of it in terms of um, her struggle when she was married to Michael and her mother needed money and help from them. But, you know, the difficulty between doing what her husband wanted and doing what she wanted to protect her mother. And now that Michael's out of the picture, what is her relationship like with her mother? Um, could she ever see herself having a relationship with her mother's boyfriend? Is she going to try to get her mother to break up with her boyfriend? I mean, this is, this is prime storyline. I don't know why we're not focusing more on the family. Um, so 
Then we also have Wendy's mom being in the hospital. So there's a flashback of her talking to her mom on the phone before she went into surgery. She had some sort of stomach pain, but she ended up being okay. Um, that's why Wendy said, you know, with everything being claimed about her mom by NECA, it hurt her in a different way. Now, in terms of this NECA and Wendy drama, I don't like it because it's you know, when we're talking about like shrines and religion and all this stuff, it gets really murky and, and gross and outside of what we enjoy with housewives, which is the levity, right? But I do think that Wendy is jealous of NECA. I do think that Wendy wanted to be the only Nigerian woman on the show. And I do believe NECA in terms of the drama that had ensued in terms of their family. But I don't dislike NECA. I don't see anything wrong with NECA, but coming in hot with this storyline may be an issue. And I, I just don't know if we'll see her next season. But she did make a comment this episode that, um, you know, Wendy was just trying to shut her up because there's more information that um, NECA knows that she may not want to release just yet. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's more to this story that NECA has to, you know, release to the group and see if that happens later. Um, so everyone comes into the hotel room and they start drawing their pictures of Karen. Obviously, everybody's like, we're going to do Karen's vagina, but they're joking. And, you know, these pictures were actually pretty hilarious. Their renditions of Karen. I mean, there was one that was just her head and a crown. There was one that sort of looked like drunk drawn. I don't know if you guys know that account. It's this guy who draws these versions of housewives and sort of like this deadly drawn sort of character. Um Candace just drew a purple canvas with a blonde wig and a mole. Um, just gel, Giselle, sorry, she drew huge boobs, sunglasses, and made her sort of white. Um, Neka's had like an, a five o'clock shadow. These, these were so funny. Um, and whose was? Oh, and then Robin said, I drew what matters to you most. And it was just the blue check from the episode before where she had paid for her Twitter. So that was so funny. And I love that Karen was really you know, just in on it. She was having fun with it. She wasn't upset with anyone. It was just such a fun moment. But um, Wendy's was the best. So hers was just a head with a crown and big lips and a mole. With And then she wrote, I, I captured the not one, but two pieces of hair that come out of the mole. Wispy and Whiskers are their names. And I was dying. This is so funny that everyone drew the mole and some of them included the hair. Like, And the fact that Karen could still be light about it and make a joke of it, I thought was just so funny. Um, so then the ladies head out to a drag show that Ashley has sort of organized. Um, Ashley was saying that the drag community is under attack, so it's important that they support the drag queens. Um, and then you see a little bit with Mia talking about losing a lot of weight last year, but gaining it back. And then she tells the camera about how she's been dealing with the lawsuit and her business manager who committed suicide and how she was considering filing for divorce. And she just feel like feels like Gordon isn't the guy she married. And we do know now that they are separated, um, but we definitely see a little bit of that going on. But it sort of seems like Mia is keeping it from the group, which makes sense considering these women are not close friends. Um, and then Ashley brings up that Candace was emotional the day before regarding how her friendship with Robin has transpired and how she doesn't understand what made her feel it was okay to bash Robin on social media. So for example, um, Ashley called, or sorry, not Ashley, Candace called Robin a fraud on a podcast. Um, so Ashley is saying her actions, Candace's actions and her feelings don't seem to align. And Candace is just like, I I'm not addressing you, which is, is just the sort of the issue here that no one is sort of talking to each other. And Ashley is like, you say it to the internet and I say it to the group. That's the difference. And Robin is just like, what she did is unforgivable. And Candace is like, what did I do? And Robin is like, you bashed me online. And then she she doesn't understand what Candace sort of keeps bringing up is how come it's okay for you guys to bash me and my husband and our marriage in general, but you guys go ahead and say stuff on social media. The line is always moving. And this is when Robin had said, none of us should use social media to weaponize against each other. But Candace is pissed because she's like, where's the line? What's the difference? Um, I don't know what we're going to do here because it sort of feels like Candace is being pushed out, right? Like Candace is absolutely correct to never speak to Giselle again after what she did involving Chris. And I understand why she's upset with Robin because she feels like Robin is complicit. But um, Robin was actually on um, Watch What Happens Live last night. And she said that she's upset because Candace was spreading lies and saying that she plotted on Chris to cover up for one, which she thinks is very damaging. So 
somehow Candace and Robin just need to get in a room together and work this out. But I'm not sure if that's possible with Giselle and Robin continuing their friendship, which of course they will. They are the green eyed bandits, right? They will always stick together and they will never leave the show. But what is that going to mean for Candace? Because Candace doesn't really have an ally right now, except for a little bit of Wendy and a little bit of Karen. And I really do love Candace and her cry angle. But again, we're in this weird place now where she's sort of not friends with anyone in the group um, or not close friends with. And in terms of Robin, I mean, I, I know this is so crazy, but I actually really liked Juan for the first few seasons. And the, the person he has become lately where he's constantly yelling at her, treating her like shit. And just sort of dissing the show when quite frankly, sir, she's the only one bringing in an income right now. So you should just, you know, swallow it and take it. But the way he speaks to her is like he hates her and it's really awkward to watch. And she's always sort of been a lazy person, but for her not to care that her husband is cheating on her and for her not to care about her friendships going to dust, I mean, that is concerning. I'm just wondering what, what Robin wants for the rest of her life. You know what I mean? Um, so while I feel this show sort of had nowhere to go this episode, we sort of saw them all come together, let go of their animosity towards each other and just have fun together. Like they all had fun with the painting and then at the drag show. And so because nobody was fighting about their other issues, we were just able to see them have levity and fun and have a group event together, which was nice for this episode. But again, where do we go from here? Um, so I actually record this episode on Wednesdays, and I know that Wednesday nights is when uh, Real Housewives of Miami and Real Housewives of Beverly Hill comes out. Um, but since I am posting this podcast on Thursdays and recording on Wednesday, I'm not going to be able to get to the episodes from Wednesday night. But I'm just going to give you an overview right now for this week, and we'll get in, into them more next week. But for Real Housewives of Beverly Hills um, specifically, I mean, I never really believed this whole Kyle and Morgan Wade thing for this entirety of time. I mean, obviously her and Mauricio are separated. This is information that's out there and Morgan is always around. Mauricio has also said that there is nothing going on between the two of them. I honestly felt that it was kind of gross that people were speculating on her sexuality. But in the preview for next week's episode, which is tonight's episode, as tonight is Wednesday and you're listening to this on Thursday, we saw in the preview that Kyle says um, that she would date a woman. So I'm actually very surprised to hear that. Um, but aside from that, you know, I think that everything that Kyle is going through in her life and all the changes that she's made are not that strange. She was always someone who worked out a lot. Now she just works out more. Um, and the way that she is with Morgan, I really don't see the flirting that everybody else is seeing. To me, this is just who Kyle is in her friendships. If you go back and watch when she's met Teddy and when she's met Jareed, she became very close with them as well. She would dress like them and act like them. It is just her thing. Um, another thing I want to address in terms of Beverly Hills is Sutton. She is entertaining as hell, but what's going on with that lady? Like, why is she constantly repeating things? Name them, name them, name them. Why'd you bring it up? Why did you bring it up? Like, as entertaining as it is, like, what is wrong with you? Um, I don't know how people feel about watching her date. I feel like it's kind of interesting, not the one with Sal, but the guy afterwards, you know, they actually had stuff in common, the karaoke. So I thought it was really cute. I wouldn't mind watching like a side Sutton dating show. It's pretty interesting. But I do feel her coming for Kyle this season about her marriage is really annoying. It's not, in my opinion, like Kyle has been secretive. She said, we're struggling. We're going through stuff. And when you're in the middle of going through something, I don't know how you would explain that to your friends because you're still in the midst of it. You're still trying to figure it out. So I feel like the information that she's given her friends to date is accurate because she's telling them as it's going along. You know, we're, we're struggling. That's where we are. That's what it is. Um, the only other thing I want to say about Beverly Hills is just this strife with Garcelle and Dorit. So Dorit is dead ass wrong. She should not have said that Garcelle is attacking her. Garcelle did nothing to attack her. It's the fact that Garcelle has told you that she does not want that word used around her. And yes, it is a Real Housewives trope to use the word attack. But if a member of the African-American community has told you that they don't like that word and they find it offensive and hurtful, don't use it. And in the week prior, when Dorita actually made the comment, she said to the camera, if Garcelle had just told me that the word upset her, I would have apologized and I would have never done it again. But then in the following week, when they meet to have lunch, she's sort of doubling down and she's saying things like, 
you know, I'm Jewish. And so I thought we'd have more similarities than differences. And me as a Jewish person, I find that offensive because, you know, there are tropes against Jewish people that I would find offensive. And this is something that Garcelle finds offensive. So if she says that she finds it offensive, she finds it offensive. And you shouldn't keep like bothering her about that and asking her why it does and trying to make her feel like it shouldn't. If someone in your life says that they're upset by something that you've said, stop saying it. So I really don't know where we are going to go with Dorit from here. Um, she is out there living in her bubble, which was not a good thing to put on social media because we are not living in a bubble anymore. You need to treat Garcelle with respect. Um, so that is going to be an interesting um, rest of the season, I gather. And let's just get it into Real Housewives of Miami really quick. Um, this has been a pretty good season. I feel like it's kind of been overshadowed with everything that's been going on in Salt Lake City and Beverly Hills has been pretty big, but we've got a lot of drama on the show. Um, most recently, we had someone come in from a previous season who I do not recall named Anna I'm going to call her Kornikova. I don't think that's what it is. It's like Anna Kinkopi or something. She came to this Mamacita brunch that Nicole had organized for Lisa because she's had a bad few Mother's Days. And uh, Adriana brought her because she wanted her to stir up shit and bring up comments about Alexia's financial issues, which Anna did not end up doing. And um, Alexia and Marisol were very upset that she was invited and were blaming Nicole. And I really like the role that Julia has taken on this season, where basically she she seems a lot more normal. She's always been a little, you know, kooky, but um, she's trying to expand out and have a friendship with Alexia and have a friendship with Adriana. And that's why she comes to Adriana at the end of last week's episode and is like, you know, you really need to come forward and say it was you that invited Anna to the lunch. Um, you, it's not fair of you to bring Nicole into this. She didn't know about any of the history with Anna. And you just see Adriana so livid and so mad, and you can just see that she really, really despises um, Marisol and Alexia. And I don't know if her purpose of bringing Anna was just to stir up shit, or maybe as a three-year friend of, she feels like she needs to bring in more drama on the season to stir shit up so that she has a storyline. But it just really fell flat, and it didn't feel like... Um, she got what she wanted out of it because Anna or Anna did not address Alexia whatsoever. Um, a lot of this season has also been about Lisa talking about Lenny too much, but I do feel like that is her storyline. She's currently going through divorce, so that's quite a bit. But I think it's kind of funny in her current relationship with Jody. She has to physically set a reminder on her phone to remind herself to check in on him <laughs> to make sure he's okay. And that really sucks because I think Jody is such a sweet guy and she's so lucky to have found him. And she, but, but that being said, she just came out of a marriage where she was given no attention, no communication, no love. So she doesn't really remember what it's like to be in a relationship. Um, I think Nicole is living her best life ever. I think she's so beautiful. She's pregnant with her second child. They've got money, honey. And it's like, wow, I'm just so jealous of her life. And then we have poor Gertie, who's just going through this terrible cancer time. And I really feel like no one on the season has really been there for her that much. I mean, first we had Larsa being like, well, how would I know you had cancer? Which was so rude. Then you have the women yelling at the Mamacita lunch when Gertie is going in for surgery the next day. But Gertie is obviously so lucky to have the family that she has. She has her amazing husband, Russell. She has her amazing children. And when you see her coming out of surgery and going home and the way that that family just sort of came together for her we know that she's lucky and we know that she has that so I'm really happy for Gertie to hear that now that she is cancer free and that is it for episodes of Real Housewives of the Week. Feats, proof, timeline, screenshots. Okay let's get into news of the week. So the Trace Amigas are no more. Um, last year, Vicky, Shannon, and Tamara from the Real Housewives of OC had planned to go on tour um, with their title, The Three Amigas, which involves drinking in addition to, of course, whooping it up. As you may recall, Shannon was arrested last year for DUI after crashing into a house. So it's my understanding that Tamara told Vicky and Shannon that she didn't think it was a good idea for them to still go on tour because it involved alcohol. And then Tamara and Shannon had a falling out. And apparently Tamara has also made up with Alexis Bellino at BravoCon, which was before Shannon's ex-boyfriend, John Jansen, started dating Alexis Bellino. 
So on January 6th of this year, Shannon and Vicky announced their new comedy tour on Instagram with just the two of them. And then Tamara reposted it and commented on it with, my friend, my soulmate, my sister, my ass. And then a fan also commented that Vicky, um, you know, what had happened, um, she had been there for... Um, that Vicky had been there for Shannon when she was arrested and Tamara was like okay well I was heading to Scotland that day so it's not really my fault that I couldn't be there Um, a fan also commented that um, the breakup happened on January the 6th because Teddy had made a comment in the past that Vicky was there storming the Capitol and then Tamara responded with a tweet that said yeah January 6th is not a good day for her Later that day, uh, Tamara and Teddy announced their new Two Teas in a Pod live show featuring their husbands, Emily Simpson, Angie Kay, and Cynthia Bailey. And then Kelly Dodd tweeted, I would sue Tamrat. You guys put an LLC, had future gigs lined up. Tamrat is a diabolical. That's why they love her at Bravo. They did you a favor not having you back. God's rejection is God's protection. And then Tamara responded to a fan's comment about Kelly's tweet and said, Shannon was calling people asking how she could sue Kelly the day before she made up with her. When she was out with that, she would only fuel Kelly's fire. She decided being friends with Kelly again would be the easiest way to get her to stop talking about her. I got proof to back that up. Now that's loyalty. Why I backed out, you'll soon find out. By the way, I never signed an LLC, hired an agent, or set up tour dates. That's all I've done, which I was in Scotland. I think she means while I was in Scotland. And she also tweeted, here's an idea. Why doesn't Kelly take my spot? I'm sure ticket sales will go through the roof. That's right. They don't want to be publicly associated with her. And then a fan also made a comment. Um, oh, sorry. And then Tam of them responded, yes, you're right. Vicky took Shannon in. Instead of Shannon using that time to heal, she was busy recording Vicky and her boyfriend fighting and bragging about it to me two weeks later. Such an amazing friend, isn't she? And then Vicky and Tamara followed each other. Um, then Tamara tweeted, I feel like I took the biggest dump of my life. So refreshed, so relieved. So that is the end of them. But I mean, I very rarely side with Tamara. But in this case, I mean, I do agree with her that the Three Amigas show should not have continued on given what had happened with Shannon. It just wouldn't have been a good look. Um, but I just don't know what's going to happen now with the new season and when they're going to start filming. We don't know if Alexis Bellino will be on it. Now Tamara and Shannon are at odds. Um, we don't know if Vicky is coming back. I heard she said she would only come back if they made her a full-time housewife. So this looks very messy, but also kind of perfect to lead into a new season. So we'll see, I guess, what happens with these three. Um, on January 5th, TMZ released an article entitled, Sue You, Sandoval, Let's Just Sell Our House Already, which was a pretty fun title. Um, as we all know, the former couple, so um, Ariana Maddox and Tom Sandoval, have been living together since their split in March 2023. Tom has said that he has tried to buy Ariana out, but Ariana has said that his offer was shit. So she has now filed a suit against him in the LA Superior Court for a partition by sale, which means that she wants a judge to order them to sell their house and divide the proceeds. What she doesn't want is a division in kind. So that would allow each of them to retain their ownership interest in the property and either of them could sell to a third party. So basically she just wants out and I don't blame her. I don't think she should have ever had to been the one to move out because she didn't do anything wrong. Like I think he can afford to rent an apartment or stay with Schwartz, but that is just my opinion. Okay, the Emmys was also this week, and as you know, Vanderpump Rules was nominated for two. Um, the Toms got to um, announce, along with Sheena and Lala and Lisa, they got to present, but unfortunately, VPR did not win. But it was really cool that they were nominated, and I definitely think this is probably the only year that would happen, but it was still really cool that they got to go. Um, Lala also did an Amazon Live on Monday this week, and she was asked if she spoke to Tom about the Tigers. So I don't know if you heard, but Tom Sandoval, Tom Schwartz, and Kyle Ch Chan went to Thailand recently and Sandoval had taken a picture with a tiger um, resting on him that had to be bottle fed and sort of coaxed into position in like a an animal sanctuary and um, obviously people started coming for him and tagging Lisa and Lala and so Lala posted on Instagram at the time I am appalled by the photo my cast member took with a tiger in captivity. This topic has been close to my heart for many years. What is disguised as fun and cool is in fact animal abuse. It's heartbreaking. I've made noise about educating yourselves and here I am to tell you again. Do not support places like this. So on her live, she said that she had texted him and posted on Instagram and she said something to him at the Emmys about it, but he didn't take kindly to it. 
Um, she's also asked if her and Katie are having drama this season, and she said yes, but her and Katie have a lot of drama. It's not a great season for the two of them, but they are in a good place. She was also asked what she would do if she found out a troll account was a cast member, obviously referring to Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and she said that um, she had gotten upset with her cast before because Rachel was a prime example because she was a fan, and she was brought into the group, and she changed everything, so she would not be happy about that. Then she kind of comes for James a little bit and says, who brings this random person? Like, who's sitting there DJing and is like, you know what? This random girl who watches the show every week with her mom? I'm going to make her my girlfriend. What? So I guess we will see what James has to say to that. Um, there also might be some beef going on between Lala and Kristen Doty because during the live, someone asked um, Lala if she listens to Kristen's podcast and she said, I don't know her. And then someone asked, do you listen to Kristen Doty's podcast? And she said, I didn't know she still had one. So she may be upset about what Kristen said on her podcast about the final scene in the VPR trailer where Lala is making that comment about Ariana saying, I've never seen anyone get cheated on and then become God. And Kristen just sort of was doing her predictions for season 11 and going over the trailer. And she said that it appears that Lala is jealous, but she's not saying that she is, but she could understand if she felt that way. And it was something that she and Stassi had both sort of talked about earlier on in the scandal ball in terms of not receiving the same treatment and the whole concept of the perfect victim. Kristen is also on the outs with another friend in the friend group, Janet. Uh, Janet will be on the VPR spinoff show, which we are anticipating will be called Valley Village. So I kind of wonder... What is going on with Lala, or sorry, with Kristen and her friends? Um, one other little piece of news. I just wanted to address uh, Real Housewives of Miami from last week because we had the Mama Cita lunch. And during that lunch, there was um, a little bit of a spat between Lisa Hodgstein and Julia. Uh, Lisa was kind of yelling at Julia for coming for her um, for comments that she had made about her parenting. And then Lisa had sort of come back at her and said, like, you have three baby daddies. And then there was a post by um, at rhom.bravo on Instagram where they had posted that. And Julie had responded to it, basically saying that she didn't see that Lisa had said that. She didn't hear the comment during the Mamacita brunch. Otherwise, she would have addressed it immediately. She said that attempting to frame the way my children came into this world as anything but joyful blessings is disgusting and impersonable. The unspeakable viciousness of involving the memory of my late son in an attempt to attack me is simply unforgivable. So that is actually really sad. I didn't know that she had a son that was deceased. But yeah, if Lisa made that comment, um, which she did, um, I could see that why would, that would really hurt Julia. So I wonder what will happen come the reunion now that Julie is aware that Lisa has made this comment. And I think that is it for News of the Week. Defeats, proof, timeline, screenshot. Okay, guys, that's it for I Take Bravo Very Seriously. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be here every Thursday. Don't forget to download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It's really important. See you next week.